welcome back to the Stride Podcast, a podcast where we highlight the voices of young organizers across this country. I'm your host, Niles, and I'm joined by Maria. Maria, how was your holiday break? How you doing? Thank you, Niles. I am so great. Um, Labor Day weekend was a fun time, as it usually always is. It's a nice time to rest, recharge. I hosted some friends that came to visit me um, from all over the East Coast. Um, After being an undergrad and graduating, it's a little bit harder to connect and reconnect with some friends just because we're all all over the place. But this weekend was a nice moment to do that. And so I played host and it was a great time here in D.C. We did the QDC stuff. We went to the zoo, the monuments. So it was a really, really great time. Spent some time with amazing friends and recharged. What about you? How was your weekend? Yeah, that sounds really fun. As you know, DC is one of my favorite cities. It's a lot to do there. So really glad you got an opportunity to go out and have a little fun with your friends. Um, as for me, I didn't really do too much. I uh, just really stayed in the house basically all weekend um, and watched football. I'm a big sports fan. And so this was the uh, first week of college football. So you know, got an opportunity to watch a lot of really good games and, you know, just, uh, you know, take a step back and breathe, I guess, a little bit after a long week. Uh, and this week, uh, we have a very special guest. Her name is Anika Astana. She's a sophomore at Princeton. Anika, welcome. We're glad to have you. How are you doing? Thank you so much. It is great to be here. And I am doing great. Semester just started, so kind of getting back into the swing of things. But Overall, it's good to be back. Yeah, and uh, glad to have you back. Um, For those who are listening, Anika was our intern this summer. And so we had the pleasure of working alongside her. Uh, She's super incredible, uh, doing amazing things. And yeah, I feel, you know, really happy to have you on. And I'm really excited to uh, learn a little bit more about you, even though I feel like I I know quite a bit about you. Uh, But anywho, walk us through what it was like growing up. What were some of the moments that pushed you to be politically active? All right, let's get into it. So I am from San Jose, California, and I grew up in a particularly gentrified neighborhood. I remember basically being the only family of color on my block for the first decade, decade and a half of my life. And it's gotten a lot better now, so it's been really nice to come back home and see a lot more people of color, a lot more Indian people, a lot more immigrants. Um, but it was particularly interesting just growing up in this like primarily white bubble. And one of the things that sort of pushed me to become politically active was all of the um, conversations and like the social awakening that I had that comes from reading current events and I think what really sort of tipped the nail was doing speech and debate. I'd already always been like a politically active person or someone who just cared for the world around me. Like I learned sign language when I was in seventh grade because a cousin of mine has cerebral palsy and couldn't speak. I was also really young and she like cannot sign, but I still learned it. But I tried to like make an app for nonverbal communication for her when I was in eighth grade. And just those sort of like small endeavors into how can I change myself and what can I produce to sort of better interact with the world around me um, got me into the high school I went to, Notre Dame, which is pretty social justice oriented and was very much a fan of the care for others, care for the world around you, do what you can to make it a better place. And so the thing that really tipped the nail 
uh, hammered the nail in the coffin, I guess, was um, when I did speech and debate at Notre Dame because I basically spent an entire year learning about the world and researching it and coming up with all of these political solutions to the world's biggest problems. And then just going right back to like the next competition. And I felt like I was in the cycle of getting to know like current event issues um, really well. And then just reverting right back to once I figured out a solution, like the next competition, the next problem. And so I really wanted to just actually do something hands-on to address a lot of these systemic issues that I was talking about rather than just talking about them, presenting the solution and then moving right on. So that was sort of the catalyst for me to become someone who was politically engaged. Yeah, I think your journey and your story on how you became politically active and engaged is it really inspiring. You're just so young and you know, you attend this amazing university. I'm sure you get that a lot, but you're doing also a lot while doing that. Um, and it's really, really incredible to see that. And it's also really inspiring. What are some of the best lessons you've learned throughout your time organizing? Oh my gosh, there are so, so many. So I think that one of the best lessons that I have learned truly is to listen and to actively practice placing others before yourself and to collaborate. So let me explain. Basically, when I was in high school, I had a nonprofit called Step It Up, and I spent my sophomore year running around the Bay Area and interviewing a bunch of these like really, really prominent executives um, about the skills that they used to succeed in their careers. So we had like the CMO of eBay, we had some people from Stanford, from Facebook, like very prominent executives who were talking to us about this. And my overall goal with the nonprofit was to sort of close the information gap that existed in like 2016, 2017, no longer exists now, but it existed back then. People who were at a disadvantage socioeconomically and were not born into privilege and affluence and were sort of left out of a lot of the corporate pipelines. And it was just sort of a way of being like, okay, most people, if they aren't born into families that already have knowledge on like how to write a resume, how to get a promotion, how to interview for jobs, like don't really know these soft skills and these business skills that are needed to sort of get ahead and attain some sort of level of like socioeconomic security and prominence. And so I was on this mission. I was like, I'm going to write this curriculum. I'm going to spread it to all these high schools. I'm going to teach all of these young kids like what the tools that they need to succeed are. And it got to the point junior year where I was trying to expand this program and get it out to high schools across the state and the country that it was like a total failure. And I remember I had a team of like six or seven people working with me and I was like, all right, next week we're gonna work with these schools and we're gonna get it implemented. But I wasn't having any success at all. And one of the catalysts of this sort of shift in mindset was that I kept dragging myself out during my free period um, and sitting on the concrete floor and just like calling this like list of schools throughout my area and just trying to be like, hey, like I have this curriculum, let's start this club, it's totally free. Like I just want to help like low income students and women and students of color like really know a lot of these skills that they can go on to have successful careers um, and like we can close this information gap 
and it was not working. So finally I admitted defeat and I talked to my team about it and I was like, all right guys, this isn't like, I'm so sorry I have failed you. And rather than, you know, berating me or being disappointed, like I thought that they would, all the members of my team started coming up with like really, really interesting and innovative solutions. And one of the things that we thought of that they thought of was to contact the students themselves rather than the administrators and be like, hey, this is an idea for you. We want to work with you and help you build this at your school. And that truly like changed the course of the club. We were able to work with students across California and across the nation. Um, we had some people in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, who we were, who we were working with. Um, and we expanded it out to like 10 high schools over the course of this one year and impacted around like 480 students I want to say and it was amazing and that whole practice of like listening and placing others before yourself was really what drove the expansion and success of these other clubs because we worked with the students and we were like okay what do you need what do the kids at your school need how can we work with you to make sure that this is the best it can be and this curriculum is tailored to suit your specific school and environment and everybody just sort of took it and went up and running. And the whole process of seeing an idea that I had really randomly, like two years prior, just inspire so many other people to come up and make change and to become empowered themselves was incredibly fulfilling. And I don't think any of the success that we had could have happened had I not, and had all the members of Step It Up not consciously chose to listen and to collaborate. Yeah, that's great. You know, I've spent so much time thinking about the best, most streamlined ways to address disparities in this country. You know, one potential solution that I always get to is you know, closing the gaps in knowledge. Uh, your experiences remind me of some of my experiences in my younger years when I was uh, working with young teenagers in Pomona, California, uh, leading workshops. Uh, tailored towards, you know, those soft skills that could be uh, applied, you know, very effectively and successfully uh, upon uh, high school uh, graduation. Uh, and yeah, and that, that great, that work is great work. Uh, and I'm excited uh, that you took initiative to do it. So I want to delve a little bit deeper um, into that. So, you know, you are the founder and the president of Step, uh, Step It Up. So, you know, how did you all start it? Tell us a little bit more about uh, what you all do. And we'd really like to hear uh, some more success stories uh, from the work that y'all have done thus far. Um, sure. So one important caveat is that Sephiroth is no longer a functioning nonprofit. I do want to get that out of the way because we definitely, I think, died during the pandemic. And when I was looking to start it up again this past year, I realized that the specific problem that this organization was tailored to solve, which was teaching women, people of color, and low-income students, basically historically underrepresented minorities in the business world, um, soft skills and business skills was no longer an issue because I think that a lot of other people and organizations and scholars became aware of this information gap and started making things a lot more accessible. So now if you go online, you can find like tons of workshops on resume writing or workplace etiquette or how to get promotion or how to deal with discrimination. So I 
I think that what we did that was particularly interesting and valuable um, was really localized in the three four years that this nonprofit was active and running. And some of the things that happened in terms of success stories there were just all the like small changes that people made into their lives. I got so many texts from people just being like, hey, I applied for this job using the resume that I wrote during the resume writing workshop. Or, you know, those guest speakers or that panel that we had was really inspiring and really pushed me to like take a CS class and now I am majoring in computer science at college. And it was just all of those small wins and small victories where people became aware of all of the potential that they had and all the potential that the world sort of held for them and acted upon that, that I count as my greatest sort of achievements within Step It Up, which is that like individual peer-to-peer empowerment. I think that you mentioning something you planned that like necessarily didn't go your way or something that like you said, maybe even failed is so important to speak about and say, because thankfully you did come out of that um, learning so much and being really successful. And I think young people listening to this podcast and you saying that and like verbalizing that and noting that will resonate a lot with a lot of people and will make others feel more okay with doing that because I think it's a great reminder to know that like we are so young and we are doing a lot. And from time to time, if something doesn't go your way, then that's 100% okay and it's all part of the plan and the journey. I've gone through so many of those um, myself. Anika, you mentioning that like you, again you started this organization during the pandemic it kind of died down. That happened to me with two of my other co-workers back in uh, undergrad and college. We were trying to begin this organization, a chapter, well, not an organization, it was a chapter within an organization. And unfortunately, the pandemic really didn't do us any favor and no one wanted to come to any of the Zoom trainings or the, the online Zoom um, programs and the meetings we had. So it really did die down. But from there, I gained so much more ex- experience and I really got so much more knowledge on how to like navigate so many other things. And I really gained so many skills and it brought me to where I am today. So I'm really thankful for that. So I appreciate you mentioning that. What are some recommendations you have for future organizers out there who maybe want to get in this space, want to also maybe begin their own organization, they want to find something, or, or just in general, any organizing tips that you have for an organizer listening to this podcast today? Oh, of course. I mean, there are so many. I think the first one, which sort of ties back into my nonprofit in high school dying down, is just to understand that this is a very long process and the road is winding. I personally don't count the sort of closure of Step It Up as a failure whatsoever because I think that everybody who was a part of it learned and and grew and all of us came away a better version of ourselves and it impacted the community and solved the specific problem that it was created for. And that to me is all that I wanted to get out of it. I'm so glad that, you know, there isn't a need for this nonprofit to be running because that means that the problem is in more ways than one solved or a lesser issue because the information gap has been made smaller and smaller over the years as things have gotten more accessible and easier for people who aren't typically represented to be recruited and to be um, represented and be that change. So I'm actually so glad. And I think that's one lesson that's really important for organizers is the separation of 
ego and work. I know I've been in the social justice field for, I think, like the last seven years. And in it, I've worked with a ton of different people. I've worked with like policy writers um, at my county, Santa Clara County, um, up to I've worked with like a South African parliamentarian and I've um, done some work for the United Nations Council of Women for the United States specifically. So it's been like a wide spanning range of characters that I've gotten access to and like have been able to meet. And I think that there are a lot of different types of ways that people approach this, but the best activists and organizers that I have seen are the ones who strike a balance between placing their work ahead of their own personal goals people who I know who are the most successful at this are not in it for the fame or the Wikipedia page or the magazine interview. They're in it because they truly care about the issue and want to make a difference no matter what. And if they die unrecognized, but they have made the world a better place and they found it, they'll die happy. So that's one part of it that I think is particularly important for anybody who is organizing, which is just remember to always place the work ahead of any personal ego or motivations that you might have. But the second lesson, which you can't find a balance between, is the practice of self-care. I have met a lot of people who believe so passionately in the work that they're doing that they let their health or their personal lives sort of fall to the wayside and they're like completely focused on achieving this one goal and helping these people or this animal or this environmental issue that they don't actively practice self-care. And that's where we get into this idea of activism burnout, which happens quite frequently, especially with youth organizers. I think we as youth are so passionate and so excited to make a difference in the world that we burn out really quickly. And it's not sustainable either for us or the issue that we're trying to solve. So my two biggest lessons for organizers are simply to place the work first, but make sure that when you posit yourself in relation to the work, you take care of yourself so that you can have a long, sustainable, impactful career within the organizing field. And you can make sure that the work that you do is good quality and because you genuinely love it, not because you want to achieve any sort of fame. Yeah, I think that first piece of advice really resonated with me. Uh, Nick Guthman, who is the co-president of Blue Future and also co-founder, who we're all very familiar with, uh, sent us each a book uh, called Axiom for Organizers. And, you know, one of the most important lessons uh, that I've gotten from that book thus far, I haven't finished it yet, is uh, the idea of of what a successful leader, a successful organizer looks like. Uh, And so there's one quote, and and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, that says, you know, successful organizers stimulate the interests of the people and sort of push from behind and are not necessarily front and center. And so, you know, Anika, when you're talking about, you know, sort of putting the work first, not necessarily having an ego, you know, that just reminds me of role uh, of a, an effective organizer in a sort of, I guess, a populist approach that just reminded me of that. What are some of the ways you recenter yourself and the ways you kind of practice self-care and fully be present um, outside of organizing in order to come back and be your best self throughout this work? That's a lovely question. And I think that self-care 
is whatever it means to you. I know that the commodification and commercialization of self-care has made it into a very standardized and practiced routine, I think, because we have like the face masks, the bubble baths, the candles. People are buying into this mainstream narrative that there's like one specific way of practicing self-care. And it often involves like buying products that are sometimes a little bit more financially infeasible for some people than others. Like I'm not going to drop $15 on like a tea tree face mask that I have better things I can spend that on. So for me, self-care looks a little different. I personally think that having something to do that's just for you is the best way to go about it. I sort of practiced it when I was taking a gap year and I was sort of like, completely burnt out from high school, very disillusioned with social justice work whatsoever. I really felt like, you know, nothing I did was going to make a difference and we were all just screwed and that things were just going to be like way too hard and this was all pointless and I felt very adrift. I wasn't like centered within myself um, whatsoever. I remember one day I was like, hold on, all I do is things for other people, like school, work, social justice work it's all for something other than myself and so one day I just started drawing and that has sort of carried me through the past three or four years and just the practice of creating art just for myself because I think it's beautiful or it's something I'm processing it's a message that I want to dig deeper through is one of the ways that I practice self-care and I've had my work displayed in a gallery now, which is like really cool and not something I ever expected. But I, that is one of the ways in which I take care of myself. But also practicing yoga is something that I do a lot. Practicing meditation, trying to spend as little time on screens as possible. So going to sleep with my phone on the other side of the room and not having it be the first thing that I get on in the morning and the last thing I get on in the night are a bunch of other ways in which I try to be as like mindful and centered as possible. Um, one of the reasons why activism burnout is such a thing is I think because we as a society and particularly as a generation are constantly overloaded all the time. We have social media, we have news notifications, we have a ton of stuff going on at every moment in the day and it kind of feels really hard to be balanced and grounded and our overarching missions I think are very easy to lose track of and so one thing that I like to do is just make sure that I take time just for myself away from electronics and do something that I feel like really nourishes my soul for lack of a better word and reminds me that I as a person am so much more than the output that I create. For those of you all listening, yeah, she's pretty artistic. I remember uh, one staff meeting, I think she took off one of her earrings and uh, it looked cool in uh, in general, but you know, to find out that she created it and painted it herself, uh, I thought that was just amazing. So yeah, she's definitely uh, very artistic. And Anika, I'm very glad to hear uh, that you were aware enough uh, to take that gap year uh, before you know embarking on such a daunting task like know undergrad college so yeah very happy to hear that and yeah you know how can we be present for others if we're not there for ourselves i mean that's just impossible it doesn't really make any sense so i thought that was a very poignant point what does the future look like for you and where do you go from here not you totally asking the question i've been asking myself for the past uh, i don't know summer especially lifetime especially i so this is where we're going to get super candid. I am 
not in a particularly great financial situation with my family and you know me going to Princeton is an immense financial burden on them it is a sacrifice that we are collectively making so it's a privilege yes but I'm also whoa this is this is a lot this is this is a very very big thing like I feel like at the moment I am like family's like biggest expense and that is something that I have been dealing with um, throughout the past couple of years. And so while ideally my ideal future would be just like hit the groundwork, running, work for the UN again, write a bunch of books about intersectional feminism and scholarly praxis and spend like the next couple decades just doing as much work for the specific social justice topic that I am most passionate about which is gender equality and women's rights. I don't think that that is particularly feasible at the moment. And so I'm probably going to go into a more mainstream career um, so that I can, you know, not be in debt and make sure that I can take care of my family as they've taken care of me and incorporate as much social justice work as possible within that. This is also something that I want to like, impart on other youth organizers, which is, and I guess it also sort of ties into the idea of self-care. I personally have been very torn about the idea of like being a corporate sellout and I don't know, going to Wall Street or something when I know that my heart and my passion lies in what I perceive to be the exact opposite direction. And so I'm just, I feel as though I'm at a crossroads for what my future is going to hold because like, I'd love to come back and work for Blue Future, but is that the most financially viable option for me right now? I, I don't know. Once again, I think it's sort of about striking a balance and thinking about what's going to be most sustainable in the long term. And I've tried to combine these two different versions of the future into one that I think would um, provide a better outcome. So I would like to just go be a corporate sellout for a decade or two. I think it's just going to happen. But then with that money and with that social capital and political capital that I will have, I would love to just spend as much of it on the causes that I care about. So I'd love to ideally start another nonprofit when I have a lot more life experience and a lot more skill behind me a couple of decades down the line and make sure that all of the money that I accrue, the one that isn't going to be spent on like taking care of like the health and well-being of myself and my family, is just going to be spent on the things that I care the most about. And I am hopeful that I'll be able to sort of accomplish both of these goals of both having a financially stable future and also making the pro-social impact in the world that I want to. So a bit of a complicated answer, one that I'm still figuring out, but I, I also want all of our listeners out there to know that it's completely okay not to know what's going to happen. And the important thing is to truly understand what you're passionate about and stay true to that no matter what the rest of life sort of throws at you. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for being really candid and for sharing that with us. Um, I think I can relate to you in a lot of ways. Being first-generation uh, American, first-generation college student in America is really hard. And um, yeah, it's it's a lot. So I commend you for that. And I appreciate you bringing this topic and conversation. So people out there listening that are also in a similar position don't feel so alone and feel um, that they can relate. And I think that's really important, especially in this space. And I also completely think it's okay to maybe not necessarily know what's gonna, what you kind of have and maybe not have, not even have like a, a soft plan or, or do have a soft plan, but things change. Like that's life. And I feel like when we do make plans, the universe just laughs. And so just knowing that um, 
at the end of the day, everything is on your side and the universe is on your side and Blue Future supports you in any way that we can and we will continue to be rooting for you. You know, regardless of whatever space you get into, you will do what you need to do and you will do, you'll be so good at it and you'll be successful and we know that. And so thank you again for sharing. We really, really appreciate that. And I think it's one of my favorite conversations that I've had so far in the podcast. Appreciate your vulnerability and honesty because that's a big deal. And I think if I were in like my first years of undergrad listening to this, I would feel really much seen and heard. So thank you for that. Again, we literally wish you here at Blue Future the greatest future. And we wish that it's going to be, we know that's going to be bright and it's going to be special. Okay. So now we have a really fun tradition tradition that we do at the Stride Podcast. It's a new tradition that Niles came up with where the person prior to the interview leaves you a question for you to answer. And so the question is, what is the best organizing event you've attended and why is it so? Oh my gosh, I am so excited to answer this question because my answer, I feel like, is so clear. The best by far organizing event that I've been to is the Commission on the Status of Women. I went when I was a junior in high school and I was selected to be a side panelist at two of the panels that were being held at this and I had wanted to go to this conference for so long so to be selected as a speaker was crazy crazy and I when I got there the importance of it really dawned on me because the Commission on the Status of Women is the largest women's rights conference in in the world and it's hosted by UN Women in New York every year and so it was a pretty big deal to be able to go and when I went there I um, gave my little speeches on like menstrual health, equity, and reproductive justice, the way that that works with rural communities. And the other topic that I spoke on was just like being a youth activist and nonprofit and how all of these things sort of come together. And what really, really was incredible to me was just the sheer turnout and passion of everybody who came because the attendees of this conference are like state leaders, foreign dignitaries, the most eminent scholars, and they all just sort of come together for this conference and discuss their work, their research, and the most pressing issues of their respective nations and communities. And it was just so incredible and heartwarming and inspiring, really, to be surrounded by some of the coolest people that I've ever met. And just to be in community with everybody. I think the the impression that I got from that was that, you know, I wasn't alone and that there's this entire international community that is just as passionate about this cause as I was. And I felt so small, but small in a good way. Like I felt like I was part of a movement to make the world a better place. And I, I was here and I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like this is it. And it was incredible. And so I highly recommend if anyone gets the chance to go, you should go, you should check it out. Um, but it was amazing. And I I think that's just one of the best life experiences that I've had so far, truly. Aniga, thank you so much for joining us. Um, before we let you go, um, anything that you'd like to put a spotlight on, any shout outs you'd like to give, uh, where can we follow you on social media? Well, I'd like to shout out Blue Future. I loved working with you guys. I hope to do so again. And I I hope that this podcast goes on to have so much success. I'm so excited to see where it goes. I don't actually have social media, which is funny because I ran Twitter for Blue Future for a while. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. Ah, now's in Maria now. But I don't have social media. I am intentionally practicing that because I value my mental health and 
I feel like if I had it, when I've had it, I've just gotten very like insecure and I've compared myself to other people and it hasn't been good. And so I've just been trying to focus on my mental health and my work, but I am available by email, (laughs) if that makes sense. And in general, I think I just want to give a shout out to all of the youth activists out there, people who are listening, people you know. I think that we're all in here fighting the good fight. And even though it's hard, change is happening. That's really cool. The question that I want to leave is essentially, how has the activism and the organizing that you are undergoing shaped or changed your identity and your perception of your identity? Nika, that's a great question. But yes, again, thank you so much for joining us. That's been another episode of the Stride Podcast. Uh, We were joined by Anika Astana. Anika, uh, wishing you uh, nothing but the best. I hope you have a great semester. And for the folks who are listening, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Blue Future Stride Podcast. If you're interested in politics, progressive movements, and organizing around issues which you care about, check us out. Our website is ourbluefuture.us. You can also follow us on all social media platforms. Our handle is Blue Future Now. Before we go, we'd like to thank our producer, Alexia Klein. She does an amazing job running the show behind the scenes, and none of this is possible without her. If you have any questions about the podcast, you can reach her at Alexia, A-L-E-K-S-I-A, at ourbluefuture.us. Also, want to send a special shout out to Eli Serverman Lloyd for creating the music in today's podcast. If you're an organizer and would like to share your story, email us at hello at ourbluefuture.us. That's been another episode of the Stride Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you.